wake up. Live from FEMA Region 2, back at it one more again for the most dangerous two hours in radio on the wake up with your host this evening, your brother Cam Kazi the Cutlass. Shout out to my co-host, my brother John, the Masonic Marine from the Truth Booth Podcast. Shout out to super producer Cindy Ashby for bringing this all together. Shout out to the whole On The Wake Up Radio family and shout out to you, the listener, the On The Wake Up Radio Army. You can check us out at onthewakeupradio.com, onthewakeupradio.com, where we have our 24-hour streaming radio broadcasting shows from the last four years. Can you believe it's been four years? This is our fourth year, coming up on our fourth year anniversary of On The Wake Up Radio. And you can check out all the wonderful shows from the past four years, from almost half a decade now of content. Um, you can also go to to check out the archives. You can check out SoundCloud, YouTube. No, excuse me, YouTube, <laughs> SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and OTWTube.com. OTWTube.com. That is our <clears throat> own personal social media platform that is free speech social media there are no uh oppressive community guidelines no uh censorship nothing like that you can check out our old shows and you can check out a lot of the videos that are being deleted off of your favorite social media platforms that means if it's been deleted from youtube there's a good chance you might find it up on otwtube.com and if you have these type of videos and content and they're not on otwtube.com this would be a good time for you to set up an account on there and put it up on there put it up there on permanent record well it will not be deleted in these times, this is the age of information, and we're living in a time where information is being wiped from the digital memory bank. So go check that out, otwtube.com, create an account, join in on the conversation. Big shout out to FEMA Administrator Deanne Criswell. Deanne, thank you for keeping the lights on. Tonight, we have a special guest like we always say, when the elders speak, we shut the front door and listen. And tonight is no difference. Tonight we have the elder, the great, <laughs> <laughs> the elder brother, <laughs> Yusuf Suda. Brother Yusuf Suda, founder, founder of the Sons Foundation, correct? Yes, sir. Founder of the Sons Foundation, um, bro- brother Yusuf Suda was brought to us by another great elder, brother O.C. Burton II. You know, I've had the to the two uh, two conversations with brother O.C. on 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 the Wake Up Radio, so I am really looking forward to this conversation right here. Brother Yusuf, welcome to On the Wake Up Radio. How you doing tonight, brother? I'm doing well. Once again. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you know why I'm laughing. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> for sure. Just following suit, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, brother, you're really on to something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I, I, I do appreciate that. I, I had occasions where people, as I mentioned to you earlier in our brief conversation earlier, I've been called a lot of things, but great has not been one of them. So, <laughs> so you know, we want to start that tradition. You know, uh, Brother uh, Uriel Karama started it, so we want to keep it going here. <laughs> Because just in our, the short conversation that we had earlier, you definitely are great. I want to let our IG, our, our, we have some people tuning in on IG Live. Check us out at onthewakeupradio.com. That is the only place where you will hear this conversation exclus- exclusively on onthewakeupradio.com. Yes. Give y'all a moment to check that out. But in the meantime, brother, yes, sir. how are you, you doing this evening? I'm actually doing very well. I had a rather um, trying day after we talked for a brief period of time. Nothing, nothing critical. I just had to do some running a bit and just walked in the door about 10 minutes ago to make sure I could sit down in the chair and be present at the beginning of this program. Oh, wow. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Just want to thank you in advance for taking the time out to, you know, to have this conversation. Yes, sir. Because it's so important in these times that we're living that, you know, one thing that that really is it's kind of haunting to me is how in this age of COVID and pandemic and all this stuff, you know, we call it the pandemic here on on the Wake Up Radio. But in, in the age of this pandemic, how it's the elders that are being attacked right now. And it's, and so, so many of our elders are being taken out, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, taken out of this realm. And so for me personally, it's important to have more and more of these conversations and really tap into the wisdom of the elders and see what you have to say, because, you know, so many of you also want to speak if people would just listen. Well, um, you know, let me let me add something to what you're saying. Um, some of the interesting things, some among the many interesting things that happens to me as one progresses through the chronology, which results in us being quote unquote elders, is that mm-hmm. elders tend to forget there was an occasion when they were teenagers. Mm. For, for whatever reason, and I'm not certain of the reason, they seem to forget that or they very conveniently want to forget it and do because they sometimes want to be critical of those people that are younger than they, and many people are since one gets older, um, they tend to want to discard younger people as something being wrong with them. But they forget that their parents and the elders that were elder when they were younger thought that something was wrong with them. There's, there's, there's an interesting phenomenon that takes place. And that is, as we seem to skillfully forget how we were and what we did and didn't do, what we should have done and did not do, some things we should not have done, we did do, we tend to want to take a critical perspective of persons who are younger than I, than, than we are, particularly those who are in their 20s and teens and so on and so forth. We, have, we ask questions like, well, what's wrong with young people today? Mm. <laughs> what's wrong with young people today is the same thing was wrong when, when you were a young people, a young person. During that day, you don't know anything. Right. And it isn't that you're bad or that you're good. It's that one only knows what they know. 
And what they do know at nine years old is everything that they know. Mm. At 15 is everything they know. So therefore, they consider that at 16, they know everything. And it's true, everything that they know, but that's not sufficient mm. <laughs> to, live, to live through life. You know? mm. So uh, it becomes useful for us as, quote unquote, the elders to recall how we were when we were as they are. Mm. And if, if, if we forget that, then we are blaming or casting doubt or casting dispersion or criticism. And that criticism is not warranted and it certainly is not valid. Mm. Um, and I, I say that from this viewpoint as well. We are, I'm, I'm talking on a handheld computer that has an application of a phone. Now, right. the reason that that's, that's significant because I, during my uh, tenure as a young person, hmm. have watched telephones, telephones progress from having party lines to being able to pick up the phone and hear the conversation that someone else is having. Or there are instances where there was only one telephone in a given community at the time, you see? And wow. we have had a tremendous advancement in technology but we've had no advancement in human thinking. Mm. So the quality of reasoning is the same as it was in 1776 for all practical purposes, but we had tremendous advancement technologically, but no advancement in terms of human reasoning and improved behavior. So we have better wow. phones than we do people. You see? We have much better phones and much better technology than we do people. Right. And that's not that's not good. <laughs> how does how does something like that happen where technology advances but human thinking and reasoning doesn't advance? You would think that they would advance kind of hand in hand, right? Yeah, you would think that, but one tends to solve those problems that are most important to them. Mm. Thinking thinking is apparently not one of them. Right. <laughs> Like <laughs> we, we, we just see evidence of that because right. of the quality of reasoning that's reflected on a day-to-day -day basis in our interaction with people, you see? So there's nothing wrong with the people. They're the same. That's part of the difficulty. They're the same way as they were before because generationally, that same quality of reasoning has been passed on to generation to generation to generation. You know, just like, um, just like soul food, whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're passing on the same recipes to in diet, but we're passing on the same recipe of reasoning, you see? So we get the lack of quality reasoning because the diet is not, the, the actual consumption of food is about the same it was in 1930s, you know, with 1940s, 1920s. You know, the only thing that's uh, improved a bit is refrigeration. Well, that's the technological improvement, but not necessarily a dietary improvement, you see? Right, right. Oh, wow. See, this is, and folks, this is why it's so important to speak to the elders. <laughs> it can break down 250 years in, how long have we been? In less than 20 minutes. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> Glad I could help. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, Someone, someone um, gave us a comment. He said, we're codependent on technology. 
virtue versus uh versus utilizing them for progression and wholesome educational advancement thank you yes we've we've accepted convenience as an indication of progress mm. and or freedom um that's that's a total misunderstanding of each of those words and certainly a complete misunderstanding of freedom as it relates to access uh, the fact that you have access to more does not mean that you're freer. It just means you have greater access. Or right. people are very skillful of selling you things that are worthless. And you believe they're important. Right, right. And, you know, I guess that even comes into, you know, kind of this modern day capitalist society where where they have the this idea of planned obsolescence, right? Where they build products to fall apart so that you go and purchase more products or more of the same product instead of building that quality product that's going to last 50, 60, 70 years. And so you'll never have to buy another one. Right. Well, America's understood that if you can replace things rapidly and then convince people that they need more, they will buy more. Mm. So the entire idea of, of capitalism as a lism, you know, creates the conditions that in fact results in people thinking they need more than they actually need. Hmm. Right. And so that makes a difference as to the product that you get and what you do and how you approach achieving it. So you do not mind um, sacrificing human beings as long as you can keep providing them something that they may think they need or certainly what they want uh, is more important than what they need. So they buy stuff that are useless, believing that somehow those things have value. Right. Right. Wow. Yeah. And it's right. Because then it talks, that goes to what we actually place value on. Right. You know, and, and when you and I were speaking earlier, you were talking about you know, especially as African people, as melanated people, how we've strayed so far from where we came. And, and you know, it wasn't intentionally. It's not like we just up and said, no, nah, we're going to act this way. No, we, you know. Well, that was a little bit of coercion, to say the least. Right. <laughs> right. We went through slavery, colonialism, hundreds of years. And even prior to actual European slavery, you know, we had the um, Muslim slavery, which was, you know, longer than European slavery. And before that, there was a complete onslaught on our people for thousands of years, people trying to penetrate, whether it was through warfare, through marriage, any way to coerce and basically get to the heart of the motherland and to the people and then disperse the people. So it wasn't an easy feat but you had the nations of the world that eventually joined together in order to do this. But yes, well, there had to, there had to be a, a philosophic thread that mm. wove these things together. Now that philosophic thread is under the guise of religion. Mm. Those religions, the three quote unquote great religions. Now I don't know what makes a religion great, particularly if it's assassinating, killing, and also suggesting that slavery is a natural product that it should aspire to. There's nothing right. to do about that. That's insane. 
<laughs> right. And so when you take the basis of the Abrahamic religions, mm. and that is Judaism, subsequently Christianity, because Yahshua ben Joseph or Jesus Christ was never a Christian, but that's a whole nother story. Right. And 600 years after that, you get Islam. And right. each of these three great religions endorse slavery as an okay by God's mandate. Well, that's crazy. I mean, it's no other word that's appropriate for it. If you're God, and I'm saying this, I'm not suggesting that anybody else should say this or repeat it. <laughs> but Go ahead, brother. If, if, if you're God, whomever that might be, or whomever she or he might be, and that's in itself a misnomer because you're suggesting that God is a male or female. And if that's true, then God must have genitals of some kind. Mm. If that's the case. Okay? Now, if uh, assuming that we can ascribe he, which is a male attribute, or she, which is a female attribute, to a God, and we know that historically, ideologically, gods were females initially. And it is the European reasoning that's changed that. And mm. that, by way, that came by way of Musa or Moses, who was the um, adopted child of a pharaoh. And Moses uh, or Musa betrayed his uh, father, the pharaoh, who taught him the 42 negative confessions or the 42 mm. coming forth by day. Right, right. And he, he, the Moses who split, okay, from his dad, then says, well, you know, there are 10 commandments. Well, what happened to the other 32? Right. Now, with that heaven on the tablet side, he only could bring 10 as opposed to the whole load. That's okay, with the exception that it influenced the world in such a fashion that now things are ascribed to a deity that are insane again. Now, one would believe that one's viewpoint of God should be the highest form of sanity. Not crazy, sanity. Hmm. If you're ascribing to your God as somehow your God is jealous, that's crazy. If you're saying that hmm. at Sodom and Gomorrah, we're going to knock off all the people that don't believe in me, that's crazy. We've lost a billion people in the African diaspora across this globe over the past 2,000 plus years. Right. And you're still praying on Sunday, Saturday, and Friday that God's going to save us. Well, what happened to the billion people we lost? Where was he then? Taking a vacation? Right, exactly. Where was he then taking a vacation, you see? Exactly. There's, some, there's poor reasoning at the heart of this. And at the heart of this, we're justifying awful behavior that we would not accept from our 12-year-old. Right. We're ascribing that behavior to a deistic entity that, in fact, controls the universe that makes no sense that makes sense right. spiteful Even, jealous angry yeah. bloodlust like like I, I think about you know the story of david right in the bible and how <laughs> david was supposed to be this righteous man and maybe just because he came from the bloodline but after you know killing a whole bunch of people i believe he was in the camp with his army. He's like, I need some water. They said, we got some water. He said, no, I want army. I want water from their camp. <laughs> and made a couple of his men go out there and get him water from over there, right? <laughs> right. All of this misrepresentation of information as truth. Right. The belief is 
useless if it's not backed up or it's not provable. It's irrelevant. Right. Now, we, we talk about this in relationship to capitalism, which is part of the original idea. Mm-hmm. If Carl, uh, if Das Kapital by Marx looks at the idea that capital is the way that you can drive the planet, i.e. take, recreate, and distribute. Okay, That's a misunderstanding between communism and communalism. They're not the same. Mm, right. Okay. You cannot, if you, you have to get what you need from somewhere, usually people will be involved in that process. So you're creating poor people by demanding that somehow they do something at a lower cost, that you're going to elevate that cost, but they'll never get the benefit of the very things that they can provide. Much of that's labor, which is energy. Right. Which is mm. in itself is, is power. If you're not compensating people appropriately, so that 1% of the world's population is controlling more than 90% of the wealth, we already know the level of insanity that's involved in that process is unimaginable. Right. And then you're going to call that fair. That's not fair. That's nuts. Hmm. Right. Right. And then they try to um, have people subscribe to the idea that if they just work harder, then they'll, maybe they'll be able to attain mm-hmm some of what that one percent has but that's it's never going to happen working in that fashion it is it is said when one of the primary adages that lodges on every sunday morning like earlier today that it's better to give than receive right (laughs) that's a complete misinterpretation and misunderstanding of reciprocity right Ooh, reciprocity thank you yes because the universe operates on the basis of reciprocity. Right. It is there to keep the flow of energy moving among, between everything that's on this planet. Human beings tend to not understand that they're not the only living creatures on this earth. There's several hundred different thousands, millions of living creatures on this planet aside from human beings. And if you don't realize that, then you're in trouble because you need other living things in order for human beings to live. The greatest parasite on Mm. the planet is a consumer of other things that are alive. And Caucasians, the Europeans, have made an art of consumption and destruction. Right. They're the only people I know throughout the course of history has managed to pee in the water then figure out a way to repurify it. Well, one thing is simple. Don't be in the water. My point is, is that if you structure your economy, and it's useful to understand that economy by definition means the management of a household. That's what it means originally. Mm. It doesn't mean anything about numbers. It doesn't have anything to do with arithmetic. It doesn't have anything to do with the balancing sheet. There's nothing to do with any of those things. It has to do with the management of a household. Well, what is the fabric of a household? A male and a female. What is the fabric of a family? A male and a female. When you disrupt that balance, as has been done with the African, by destroying the male, by importing the male against his wishes, therefore, we're not immigrants here to wish or we, we want dissatisfied with home, 
we're involuntary immigrants to this country. Right. Then when we get here, the quality of duress that we've undergone, particularly as men, is such that we've shifted the, the, the mandate of family has been shifted so that the male is no longer in charge. Why? Because you destroy him. Willie Lynch, and I referred to this before, Willie Lynch seminar to plantation owners is the fabric by which that was done. You take a man, the strongest of the group, you tie him to a horse and going in one direction, another horse going in the other direction. You tie him hand and foot to these two animals going in their absolute direction. You call the congregation of Africans together, the enslaved people, and you make them watch this man be ripped apart. Right. And therefore, you say that if any of you do anything that displeases me, anything, this can happen to you. That instills fear. And then you demote the male in such a way that he can no longer control one himself. He's relying and depending upon what the plantation owner tells him. You elevate the female so that she's telling the male what to do. Now you dismantle the total character fabric of the male who's been the head of this house for trillions of years, okay? Billions of years, thousands of years. You bring him here in a foreign land. You separate him. If anyone who speaks the language that he speaks, you send some of those to Cuba, some of those to the Bahamas, some of those to Jamaica, but no one in the group here can speak the same language because if they can communicate, you have the possibility of rebellion and insurrection on your hands. Right. All of those things are things that were systematically done with Willie Lynch instruction and because of what it meant to be in control of another race of people and only use them as property. And when we say, oh, it was just slavery, that's nuts. You do not understand the gravity of what it means to have to live under those conditions. We can read about it, but when we read what we read, it has nothing to do with what actually occurred. Right, because they don't put all the details in there. It's you know, not their job to do all of that. Right, I, I, was, um, I was probably in my late teens, early 20s, when I learned what actually occurred at lynching. You know, I heard, you know, you know people were hung, hung from trees, but I didn't hear about just the utter savagery, the savagery, you know, the, yes. the cutting off of genitals, the cutting of babies out of wombs, the uh, shooting at the body, the shooting at the people as they're dying, the, uh, the celebrations, the picnics that were had, you know, these were, I mean, in uh, maybe a thousand years from now after the revolutions won and everything, and this is long, you know, in our past, They'll talk about this ritual, ritualistic human sacrifice that they called lynchings. You know what I mean? I but because we're not the ones that are that are writing the, those stories necessarily, we haven't written the official account, or our account isn't considered the official account of what happened. That's not how it's presented to us. So when I was taught about this as a child, oh, yeah, they hung people, they were lynched. But no, these were ritualistic human sacrifice where afterwards the participants kept p 
people's body parts. Yes. You know, well, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a tradition that's carried over from the Catholic Church as well. Right. They're called relics. Mm. Oh, wow. Okay. So the Catholic Church would take relics of fingers of a saint or someone that would become a saint, the arm or the kneecap or the oh, head. Wow. Those relics were, you're, you're experiencing a progression of European tribalism that has been transferred to, through the same people, to another land. And that land being coined as, quote unquote, America. America is named after a guy who never came to the country, Amerigo Vespucius. It had nothing to do with discovery of the country or anything of that kind. Right. That was done now. So everyone says, I'm an American. Well, how could that be? Since that is a non-existence actuality. Now, that's, that, of course, is an oxymoron. You can't have a non-existent actuality, but <laughs> you, you do in this case because you're misnaming the land of another group of people that you stole, and right. you're deciding that it is something that is not. You write a constitution that is irrelevant and negated the, and, and, and irrelevant the very day that you take it on as an official document because once you say that all men are created equally, but not y'all. Right. Right. You, you, you're talking about George, George Washington, the arch bandit, you know, and, and the other 70 plus men who decided to do what they did. And you want to make that great. Well, hmm. America great again. How? America's never been great again. We've only seen fascism this right. and anarchy from those who we have trusted on Sundays. Mm. Mm, lawlessness. Yes. Yeah. And um, you, you were talking about that earlier, just bandits, you know? And I, one thing I love um, about these type of conversations is kind of, we're not, you know, there's a lot of things that don't necessarily need to be discussed. But more importantly, we have to change the language that we're using when it comes to how we talk about what we're experiencing now and in the past, like this, this idea of bandits, just for the audience, just tell us what you were telling me earlier, please. Well, I'll try to remember, but a bandit is someone that seeks to get something for nothing. Mm. Anyone that takes an equitable, equitable position, whatever that he considers an equitable position, that he deserves something that he did not earn, or he takes something that doesn't belong to him. And somehow that becomes his possession. Well, again, we're talking about a crazy idea. Hmm. So the founding bandits were just that. They were just that, bandits. How do you justify taking, um, well, think about it this way. Dick Gregory, uh, <laughs> wonderful brother, very bright, uh, would say things like, uh, he would walk over to a guy's Cadillac. He says, think about this. I walk over to your Cadillac. And say, you know, get out of my car. He said, Well, what do you mean, your car? He says, Well, I just discovered it, so it's mine. Right. That wouldn't make any sense to anybody, but that's precisely what was done with the land right. and the people here. You see? So, banditry is just that. You lay claim to something that's obviously not yours. Now, the, the great uh, movie progression of the cowboy movie and the bandit robbing the stagecoach and mm. everybody, of course, disagreeing with that. Well, that's <coughs> what we've done here. 
Right. That's what was done. But it's it's yeah. difficult for people to put two and two together when you're talking about real events. Well, yeah, because oftentimes we're we're more comfortable in acu- in giving into the the forget the facts. And they'll tell you people in the journalism field will tell you simply if you have facts and a story, which one do you print? You print the story, not the facts. Hmm. Wow. And we see that so much in journalism. I mean, journalism is it's a shell of what it used to be. Um, the question is, has it ever been anything useful here? Hmm. Touche. That's a good point. I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, obviously <laughs> we're the journalists. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it's it's an ongoing process to try to understand the things that are happened and that are happening, and we see the product of what's happened in present time. Mm-hmm. If we evaluate the past, it gives us an understanding of the present. But we have to understand the foundation of that is the reasoning that has created the condition under which we're experiencing because we have accepted belief being much more important than fact. Oh, yeah. Right. Thank you. Because I I was going to say something like that. And yes, you you hit hit it. Because something one of my good friends kind of has been drilling in my head is that for the longest time, you know, especially as as melanated people, we we have been caught up in the faith-based and we're missing out on the practical, the practical things that need to be done. He gives the example of, you know, here in New York, you have the Orthodox Jews and people would see them, he, this is back in the eighties, you know, he would see them walking around and just thought that they were just holy men. You know, they have their little hats and their black and all this stuff, see them walking around, carrying their briefcases, walking up into people's houses, what he didn't realize was that they were walking around with, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars of cash coming in saying, hey, we want to buy your house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And paying people off for the house right there on the spot. Sure. And then these people, you know, have to move shortly after paying yeah. the low. And this is a thing that's done. And so as you would see them bopping around the neighborhood, you think, oh, faith-based. He And he would say, we're caught up in faith-based. We're seeing them thinking they're holy men. Like, nah, they're businessmen. They're buying up your block. Because once they buy up your block, then your black behind is no longer allowed <laughs> to trot on that land. That's theirs now. <laughs> and that's how they do it. But because we're over there thinking, you know, and we're thinking as Christian people, of course, you know, most of most of our melanated people are Christians in this country, thinking that, okay, if the if these are Jews and I'm Christian, then they are the foundation of my faith anyway. So that puts them higher than me. This is how people are looking at them. But these are businessmen, these are business people. It has nothing to do with faith. Well, yeah. You know. We have so much poor understanding of what is transpiring around us and what transpires and has transpired around us. We think 
that what we're experiencing has its genesis in this moment. It doesn't. There has to be a past for there to be a present. If we do not understand the past sufficiently, then we find ourselves captured by the present as if it just happened. Mm. It's the result of something that came before it. Right. And we, we must reason better in order to solve whatever it is that we're faced with solving. Therefore, we have to become collectors of information and discerners of information in such a way that we can find the fact and the truth. And facts and truth are not the same. Mm. Sometimes that's confusing. Now, I'll tell you why I say that. Let's assume there is a murder case. Right. Someone is dead. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. When you go to court, you have a, an attorney of reasonable good sense, and there obviously is going to be a prosecutor of reasonable good sense, and he wants to say, well, this man is dead. Well, we cannot disprove that's a fact. The question is, what were the circumstances of the death? Well, the man killed this person because that person was molesting his child. Mm. That truth becomes more important than the outcome because only by researching the truth associated with that outcome can you then say that this man is guilty or not guilty based upon the circumstances of the death. So the truth plays a very, 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 very important part in the fact. Hmm. Discard that, then you're ignoring a very valuable aspect of finding the why, the hmm. motivation of why this something occurred. Now you may find later that other things motivated this man to kill the child. Might have, man might have truly been insane. We don't know. But you can only find out by pulling the string to find out the person who did the murder, the person who murdered the child, the person who murdered the man who murdered the child, and what were the circumstances under which that occurred. Those things can get you to the truth, even though the results are obvious. We have a person in the morgue. But is that the only thing that matters? No. There's more here that matters. And you want to take the time to find that out. Now, when we pull the string on African enslavement in this country, we find that there were Africans, our parents, our, our grandsisters, who traded African bodies for various things with Europeans. We find that. That's factual. Now, the question is, how much did that occur? What were the circumstances of that occurrence? But we cannot ignore the truth of that matter. If we know that from the doors of no return on the western shores of Africa, 10 to 20% of those people that were loaded on that ship arrived, we mm. lost a tremendous number of people. Right. Tremendous number of people. Now, you want me to forget that? How? If you cannot forget 1940s, why would you think I'm going to forget what you think I should forget just because you say it's not important? Well, we know it's not important to you because it was, it would not have occurred. So right. I'm not forgiving and I'm not forgetting. Mm. 
Right. And that's the way it should be. How is you Right. Because and then right. And how can you move forward if you don't if you have no concept of how you got to exactly where you're at and this is what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. And it, it you have to take responsibility to elevate your understanding of what it is that you're trying to solve. As an organizational analyst, the essential thing for me to solve any problem is to find out why that problem exists and what was the cause of that problem. What was the cause of that cause? Only by finding the reasoning associated with that something can I then resolve the something that's in front of me. Mm. If I do that, I'm going to perpetuate the problem because I'm going to miss an element that is critical to solving the problem. I'll give you an example further. Okay. I'm not a, let me say first, I'm not a doctor. Mm -hmm. I'm not. However, I do know this from simple biology. A virus is a living organism. A human being is a living organism. The virus seeks to do one thing, survive. Right. It's, it sees you as a body that enhances the possibility of its surviving. It's not trying to kill you. It's simply trying to survive. Right. If you die as a byproduct of its effort to survive, it is not going to say, oops. It just simply says, I don't know what happened. Hmm. Right. Okay. Now, if we understand that, medically understand that, then we need to know why the virus does what it does. What caused the virus to exist in the first place? What is the genesis of the virus? What is the elemental element mm. that makes that virus function as it does? If I can find out why the virus A exists, how it functions, then I, in fact, can capture the necessary information to prevent it from right. living as an organism. If I can do that, then I can solve the human problem. But I don't want to interject, inject that vaccine into the body of the human being until I find some answers. And I don't want the human body to be the experimental <laughs> is revealed. Right. I don't care how good the science is, but if I have people dying, I'm missing something. Right. I'm missing right. something. The something that I need to know, I'm missing because people are dying before and after in instances when they're injected with the vaccine to guard against the virus killing the body of a human being. I mean, just the other day, a mother who had the vaccine breastfeeding her baby, the baby dies. Mm. Yeah. The transference of whatever she had to the child. <sighs> Someone or ones failed because you only get an opportunity to die once. Right. And I can't phantom the logic or the sense of that, oh, we have a low percentage of people die. Not for, we have 100% of those people that die, die. Hmm. Right. 
I know I know of no one that wants to be in that percentage. Yeah, exactly. And just for the people listening on Instagram, uh, you can see the website pinned at the bottom if you want to listen in live, talking to the great elder Yusuf Suda <laughs> right now. And he's dropping some serious knowledge. Tune in on on the wakeupradio.com to hear the other end of this conversation. And what what you're saying, brother Youssef, it, it goes right back to, you know, it brings the conversation full circle because you say you want to get to any problem, you want to get to the root of it. How did it begin? And even talking about this virus, we're not being told exactly where it originated, where the genesis of this began. And, the, you know, the, there's so many lies being told to the people through the media, through politicians that, and, and once you find out that you've been lied to, it's really difficult to believe the next thing coming out of people's mouths because of the amount of lies being told. And, you know, they'll justify them. We have, a, we have particularly African people have a clear understanding of the disingenuousness of European governance as it relates to medical care. We're not new to the poor medical care that the country has allowed to happen to African people. We don't have to talk about Tuskegee. We can right. talk about the admission to hospitals on a daily basis. Right. Talk about medical care as it is not administered to African people in this country. We can right. talk about the level of death rate that's happening within the African community versus the European community. Now, so we don't have to talk about things that we know historically are documented facts. We don't have to, we don't have to talk about syphilis being given to men and being allowed to mature in the bodies of African men just to find out what the result of syphilis would do even though penicillin was available and could have abated the death of those men. So now you want to ask me to trust you? How? Right. Right. Your, tr your track record is very dim. Your ethics is obviously awful. Your care for children generally, but African children specifically, shows the lack of not only real care, but a tremendous absence of intelligent thinking. Because your key product in a nation is citizenry. Hmm. Our, it is the people that is the primary resource in a nation is people. If you're not taking care of the people as a government, then you're not doing your job. Right. It doesn't matter whether that's a democracy or a dictatorship. People are the core of your, abil your ability to govern the activity that we call government. Mm. If you're not doing that, what are you doing? Right. So the question for us is, what is the game that we want to play? The reason for the SUNS program is to improve the quality of reasoning and the 
relationship between fathers and sons. Since if you reviewed my page on sonship.org, all males are sons, all of them. There isn't one on the planet that is not the son of some father. If you read the pledge of boys to their fathers, that's important because we cannot take the position that somehow our fathers are unimportant. Because if we're not for the fathers, we would have not, we would not be here. Right. We would not. Now, we can, if we like, we can blame a lot of people. But the simple fact is, any idea of you blaming someone or something for a condition under which you dislike, it is an indication that you're not taking responsibility for some element of that. Mm. Because blame is an indication of not taking responsibility for the role that you play. Yes. Okay? Africans suffer from a very basic element, and that is we suffer from criminal generosity. Now, I'll explain. Hmm. If you give everything, that breaks the universal law of reciprocity. If hmm. you take everything, it breaks the law of reciprocity. Because reciprocity says there must be exchange. And that exchange doesn't necessarily have to be even. Because if it's even, everything is balanced. And balanced, by definition, is stagnation. There's no movement. Hmm. The universe functions on flow. Things flow one to the other. Things get better. Things grow. Things prosper. There are other elements that make a flower grow. It starts out as a seed. A sequoia tree is a huge, huge tree, huge tree. 2,000 years old, some of them. Right. What was the size of the seed? Real tiny. Tiny. Tiny, tiny. But in that seed, is the lessons that the opened up by the soil and the water and the warmth of the sun opens those textbooks up and allow the flower, the seed to flower, to become a tree of insurmountable size. We cannot even determine how tall it's going to be. Mm. Huge. Right. Now, those lessons, if we get it, it gives and it takes. I didn't know until very recently that forest fires are necessary for sequoia trees to grow. Hmm. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Now, that's a fact that you can check. Right. Now, only, I'm only saying that if there's going to be construction, there must be destruction. If there's going to be destruction, there's going to be construction. Right. That's true in the universe, right? A flower doesn't die. A perennial flower grows the next year, but it dies to the winter or dies apparently, well, it seems to be apparently, but it comes back. Why? Because it has to have that period of time to recreate itself so that it will grow. Now, the African understood that very well. Mm-hmm. That is why you'll find that other people on other lands and other places do a very simple thing. They align themselves with the natural trend of the planet. 
okay? They aligned themselves. They didn't destroy water. They didn't destroy every beaver they saw. They mm-hmm. didn't kill the buffalo indiscriminately. Only June bug. Jabbo Jones, the new people, killed the buffalo indiscriminately. Mm-hmm. Why? For no other reason. The buffalo is a grazing animal. What does it do? It moves across the land. Years ago, one of the major publications that I would try to remember, uh, Natural Geographics, did a piece on the buffalo. And they point out that the buffalo was so vast in size that one could stand in one place watching the buffalo pass. And some of the herds were so large, it would take six months for one herd to pass. What? (laughs) Wow. One herd. One herd to pass. That's how large the herds were. Now let's think about what we've watched. Oh my gosh. Green archery. Um... The cowboy of cowboys, <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. all of them. the cattle drives. Right. What's the difference between the buffalo and a cow? The cow consumes grass. Mm-hmm. She doesn't give anything back to the soil. The buffalo moves across the plains, but its defecation, i.e., its stool, provides fertile underpinning for the prairie. So what grows? More grass, more prairie, because it doesn't sit there and stand there and just eat everything. doesn't do that. Right, right. It moves across the plains. It's a plains animal. The natives of this country understood that. So whenever they would hunt a buffalo, they would give thanks to the buffalo for survival, for sacrificing itself right. so their family could live. Right. And they used every part of it. Every, every part of the buffalo. One buffalo. 30 people, 40 people, 100 people. How do you kill 6 million plus buffalo have carcasses and skeletal remains higher than a hill, a mountain of bodies for only one thing, the skin. Right. Right. And the skin and to decimate the livelihood of the people they were trying to exterminate. There you go. And then as a dummy, you then import cows to eat. Right. Brother, Good brother, you just reminded me of something. I was speaking with a Haitian brother yesterday. Mm-hmm. And it's just something that it's just, you know, I'm still processing this. But he said in the, in the land of IET, he said, and this was recently, I believe. He said, you may have heard of this. He said that all of the pigs that they have there, the native pigs that they have in Haiti, were, uh, I guess the U.S. came in or somebody came in, some Europeans came in and removed the pigs, the natural Haitian pigs or the ones that have been there for generations. And they moved in 
their own pigs. Yeah, sure. That's not surprising. Why would they do something like that? So I can many, think so many reasons, but for money and control. Right. For money and control. And familiarity with what the animal would do and not do. Mm. You can control a domesticated animal. You cannot. One that you know nothing about. Right. And then it makes me wonder what's wrong with the pigs that were moved in. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, because they, they keep running the same script and using the same playbook. And it's just interesting you said that because that just came up last night for me. Like you said, they moved out the buffaloes and then they brought in the cows. Yeah. Well, think about it. What, what, what you're stuck with is one can do anything they want to do if no one can do anything about it. Mm, thank you. Thank you. So, so, so what's the rub? I mean, you can't do anything about it, so we'll do this, 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 and this. Redlining is an indication of that in this country. Right. Right? The whole collapse of the economy in the early part of the millennium, the 20s, was a byproduct of the banks deciding to take, you're familiar with, um, how do you get a loan below prime? Um. Prime, by definition, is the best rate that the banks can pay and are willing to pay for money at the lowest possible interest rate. Hmm. That means if banks can buy money, and they do buy money. Yeah, right. Banks can buy money, right, at prime. And let's say prime is 5%. Okay? And you get a loan below prime. Mm -hmm. Because the below prime interest rates was the game that was being played by the financial industry. When that happened, then they took all of these below prime interest rates, packaged them together into a single bundle, and then put loans on that packaged or below prime, and that collapsed the market. Wow! To pay it off. Again, you just simplified something that I know for me. I mean, I I did I can't I can't honestly say I did a lot of homework on what all this meant. But you hear all this talk of subprime loans and all this. I, I don't know what that means. But now I know what it means. Yes. <laughs> the language itself is important. The one, one of the most important books for one to get and have as a part of their collection in any household is a dictionary. Right. Because we speak a foreign language, we must understand the language that's foreign. Right. Okay. Uh, now, I said that to my brother on the previous show. Um, that being this, we speak a foreign language. Right. We are two brothers who've never met each other. We've spoken to each other today for the first time. Right. The language that we speak is English. That we're speaking presently is English. Now, I don't think you're an Englishman. Right. And I can assure you I'm not. 
<laughs> Yet the language that we're speaking is English. Mm. Now, why? Because the language that we spoke was very skillfully <laughs> disconnected from us. So that now the language that we are now speaking is comprised of 26 letters. Mm. And we've yet to master that. Right. right. Because we do not understand the meaning of all the words. Right. And they, they change okay. it up so often, too. Well, let me let me offer you another idea. And this is just to open up the line of thinking. Mm -hmm. There's a on Netflix. There's a movie called The Professor and the Madman. Hmm. Sean Penn plays the madman. Mel Gibson plays the professor. The hmm. movie is disinteresting for most people, but I'm going to share this with you, hoping that you watch it. And at any time you can call me, we certainly can talk about it. The Madman and the Professor is about the publication and formulation of the Oxford Dictionaries. Hmm. Now, what it's about is England decides it wants to take and compile every English word on the planet and provide the etymology, which is the historical um, der derivation of the word, the historical beginning of the term is right. etymology, okay? So it wants to take every English word and find a historical meaning, etymologies, progression, where it comes from, what language, what influenced it, and so on and so forth, and compile that into a single set of dictionaries. The mm. professor is the man who's given the responsibility for compiling this information. The madman plays a very key role. The madman, shaped by Sean Penn, happens to be a former Civil War officer hmm. who, is, who is driven almost insane because he thinks a person is after him that doesn't exist. So he moves from the United States to England purely to escape this person he thinks is chasing him. Okay. He then believes this guy is in his home and he has a, a psychotic break, kills an innocent man that he thinks is the man that was chasing him, only to discover it's not the man. Hmm. The wife of the murdered man, okay, plays a role in the madman's life, again, played by Sean Penn. Mm-hmm. Now, the key to this movie is that the professor, Gibson's character, is given the core of the process to develop the dictionaries because of his interest in language. And he gives to Mel Gibson the formula by which he can find a systematic process to find every English definition that he can find on the planet. Hmm. 
That results in the Oxford Dictionaries. And there are today 20 volumes of this dictionary. Oh, wow. Now, what significance is that? Here's what we're not getting. The reason that English is spoken across the planet as a integral influence of language is because every language is comparing its understanding against the English dictionaries. Oh, 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 wow. Oh, you find Chinese, which is a billion and a half people, African people who are a billion and a half people, same, almost the almost the same regional characteristics in some ways. China has 54 regions or provinces of which there are 54 plus dialects taught that are not Mandarin. Mm -hmm. Africa has the same. Okay, children in Africa can speak three, four, five languages and do them interchangeably right. while they play games. Right. We have learned every language as a people on the planet Polish, Yugoslavian, you name it. We can speak it, we can learn it, we master it. Mm -hmm. Okay, what am I saying? If the measurement of your spiritual growth is that you must get away from what you know in order to embrace what you need to know, and that's something you need to know comes from a source that, in fact, is alien to your survival, and you give up that source, you give up your source, your indigenous source, to master an alien language, you are giving up your soul, your spirit. You're giving up the essence of what makes you you. Mm. And you're allowing yourself to be defined by the something that you need to learn rather than the something that you know. Mm. Wow. So when Kunta Kinte, you know who I'm speaking of? Yes. Okay. In roots, when Kunta Kinte refused to allow himself to be called Toby, but once he gave in, You've broken his spirit. And once you break his spirit, you're in control of the outcomes. The Chinese are saying today, our language is comprised alphabetically but six to 8,000 different characters. Right. We will not, not, we will not, not speak Chinese. Mm. We will learn English, but we will not give up our language. Why? Because the essence of being Chinese lies within the spirit of the something but which we have created, and that's us. That right. is why in a 40-year period of time, they've been able to technologically do something that the United States and other European countries have not been able to do in the past 200 years. And go back and look at China in 1770, and, and sorry, 1976, mm -hmm. look at China today. Right. Crept up on everybody. That's right. Now imagine if the Chinese and the African managed to get along with some sanity and some sense, what could three billion people do on a planet? Rule the planet, literally. You wouldn't have to be concerned about ruling anybody, just do your job. Hmm. They'll come to you. <laughs>
Hmm. Wow. You know, it becomes a very important. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's fine. Because even what you're talking about, like, you know, there's certain words and concepts you'll find in languages outside of English, pretty much every language, like African languages and probably in Chinese too. There's concepts that you can't even express in English that exist. That they're not translatable. They're not translatable. You did. There's no words in our language, (laughs) you know, like, so to to me, that that's something that it's almost haunting to me to know that there are concepts that exist that other people live by, you know, and they they comprehend them well, but that they couldn't even translate to us because we don't have the words and the, the history and the culture to understand them through this through the English language. That's, to me, that's haunting. Well, the African is guilty of doing one thing very well, creating thought so that thinking could occur. Mm. Because prior to that, there's no time that Africans haven't been on the planet and there are no people on this planet that preceded Africans. Mm -hmm. Right. So we created thought so that thinking could occur. Mm. We're very gifted at that. Right. What we tend not to understand is that we are very gifted at that. <laughs> we, we don't get that. Mm. Our, our capability is different from ability. Capability, by definition, means the capacity to do something. Fair? Right. Ability means having the knowledge to then do the something. Hmm. That you Love, fair? Okay. Now, I'll give you an example further. Um, you, you mentioned before you started the show that you had to go get your, I guess, water and tea. Yes. Hmm. Okay. Now, I'm going to gather that the tea is in a cup of some kind, some kind of container. Yes. Right? Probably, it's certainly less than... Um, 45 ounces, <laughs> okay, it's a cup. So it may have six or eight ounces in it, correct? Right, something like that, yeah. It's, it's thermos, like right. Now, it's a, it's a vessel that holds, the cup is a vessel that holds water, right? Somewhere around you, there may be a pail. It may hold more water than the cup does. Right. Somewhere around the pail, there might be a large 55-gallon container, which holds more water than the pail holds. Hmm. Right. Each of them have a different capacity, right? Right. But all of them are vessels that hold stuff. Yes. But the capability of them are different, aren't they? Yes. Yes. Now, hmm. consider that you have unlimited capability. What is it that you cannot do? Nothing. Exactly. Your ability depends upon the use of your capability. <laughs> and for out of you, whatever it is that you know. <laughs> got you. <laughs> you understand? I understand. I got yeah. it. One of the most powerful things that happened to, my, to me, my brother, I shared with you that I'm an architect. 
Yes. And I'm always becoming an architect. I'm always learning. Like I'm always becoming a man. I'm 76 years old. I'm always in the process of learning. Why? Because I'm open up to improve the quality of my thinking, my behavior, my character. So by interacting and learning from you, I'm going to be a different person after this conversation than I was before I started the conversation. Why? Because I'm learning something from you. Right. Now, when I went to Kemet, people called Egypt, mm -hmm. I got very bothered for the first time in studying architecture because I should have studied there. Why do I say that? Mm. I, walked, I walked through edifices, places, one place that sticks with me very powerfully. We were about to go to an into um, repaying, repaying a small fee to get tickets to go onto an area that was now available for review because it was an exhibit. In the exhibit hall was a model of where we were going to walk into. The model was large. It took up maybe one quarter of the room, the pavilion that we're in. Hmm. The scale of the model was a picture, um, a physical picture of what this place looked like when it was originally built. Okay. Hmm. Okay. So the model was small enough, about one sixtieth of an inch equal a foot. So the model was huge, even in terms of that scale. Hmm. But it was a scale model of what we were going to walk onto. The model was a model of 200 acres of land, mm. which we were going to walk onto the physical land. Right. Now, we were not going to walk over 200 acres of land, not that day. <laughs> mm, okay. But, but that's where we were going to go into the area by which this model was an exhibit of, okay? So right. here's what the tour guide said to us. He says, look at this model. This model is a model of 200 acres of land. That's where we're gonna go into. He said, but that's not the important thing. So now I'm listening with four ears instead of just two. Mm -hmm. He said, it took 2,000 years to build this. Mm. I looked at him with crossed eyes. I said, you said, what? He said, it took 2,000 years. Now, let me give you, my brother, an understanding of what that really means. If that building started the day that Jesus Christ, or Yahshua bin Joseph, which is called Jesus Christ, was born, mm -hmm. those buildings today would only be 21 years old. Right. If they were started on the day he was born, the building would only be 21 years old today. Right. This is the year 2021. It took 2,000 years. Now, as an architect, I was fabricated because the amount of coordination, management, construction, no one that started that building ever saw it finished. No one. Right. Right. In the, the, that is the quality of skill and inventiveness and capability that the African exuded, the byproduct of what sits there. And no one's been able to destroy it yet. In the continuity of thought. The, thank you. You get my point. Yeah. That is what we are good at. 
That's what we are good at. Wow. Was this in Thebes? No, it wasn't Thebes. I'll I'll find it. But I, I have tickets. <laughs> I can't okay. remember the name of it at the moment. But it's marvelous. It was amazing. And I'm watching, I'm walking columns that are 70 feet high. There are 30, 40, 50 of them, one beside the other. These, nothing in I saw in my trip there, nine days, indicated huh. anything about death. Nothing was about death. Mm. Even the tombs of the men that we went into the Valley of the Kings and their tombs were as beautiful as the house that I'm completing as a designer. Beautiful, beautiful. And everything in them was about life. Nothing concerned death. Hmm. The columns were, lit, were sculptures of living plants. Hmm. The papyrus right. and the locusts. Those are the columns. Those are living plants. Those are sculptures of those plants. They're not dead wood. They're not like the 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 dwarf the, uh, peoples of, of the Egyptians or the Greeks. They're not like that. They're not fluted columns for the sake of holding up something. They're an indication that these things represent life and they're holding up the planet, the sky. Right. I looked at columns with lentils between them and those lentils are still perfectly level. Mm. Wow. Now that's just fact. Wow. And it's no wonder that they want to make us think that what they call Egypt is a land of death and evil and, you know, evil mummies and evil mummy curses coming out of the ground and scaring people. They don't, for a classical civilization, that you, you have to marvel at it, you know? Uh, I can imagine, I've never been there. I haven't been there yet to Kemet. I can only imagine, mm -hmm. you know, like you have to just take a moment and just observe what's around you and, and kind of absorb, even that what you're saying, 2,000 years, 2,000 years to complete those that, that structure, 200 plus acre structure. That's one structure. Just one structure. That's one. One, one, one. There were thousands of them, hundreds of them. There are, there are Tekken, which people call stellae. There are right. Tekken that are still sitting in the ground that were never raised, and they're 90 feet tall. Polished. Oh. Polished. Polished. I don't mean in the ground like they were trying to carve it out. They're polished. They just never raised them. Wow. Never transferred them. Now, I'm saying to we oftentimes ask the question, what do we do? We have to lock into our capabilities. We're walking around acting like we're thimbles and we have the capability of carrying a universe. But we walk around as if we know nothing. Mm. So, where, because I, I was even asked this question before, because like, where, where does this begin? You know, where, where does this process begin of rediscovering? Because we have so many people, so many people on here who are seeking answers, so many people who are highly intelligent, but just don't know where to go from here, where we are. Because they're in confusion. Now, I can say that liberally. 
confusion by definition means something simple. You don't know where you are. Mm. Here's, here's the simplicity of that. There are ethics conditions. There are, in essence, there are conditions upon which you agree to by virtue of what you do or don't do. There's five things that I talk about in the Sonship program. Ethics, integrity, honor, responsibility, and accountability. Now, here's what I mean. Every group has a code of ethics. Why? Because there are rules upon which you agree to carry out in order to achieve an objective, a goal. Fair? Right. You, you're in New York? Yes. Mobs in New York? Yes, for sure. Do they have a code of ethics? Absolutely. You break one, what happens? Death. Okay. Police department have yes. a code of ethics? Yes. You break one, what happens? Death. <laughs> Maybe firing, but they, they tend to deal with their own a certain way. There you go. Now, that code of ethics is essential because they call it the blue code. If you break the blue code, which is a code of ethics unwritten among the men, mm -hmm. if you're Serpico, we're going to get you. Yeah, exactly. Like you, you might end up, you know, somebody's partner may end up catching it somehow by an, uh, you know, a shooter that's never found. That's what happens. That you get my point. Yes. Now, every group has a code of ethics. Uh -huh. Ethics have nothing to do with morality. Don't confuse them. They're not the same. Why is that important? Because we tend to think in terms of good and bad. Well, that's a rather, that's a rather religious concept. Mm -hmm. if, there, if there's a God, there's got to be a devil. Right. God is the one that kills everything, and the devil ain't killed nobody yet. Right. <laughs> I don't know if one war in the course of history has ever been proclaimed in the name of the devil. Right. Hmm. All have been proclaimed in the name of God. Hmm. Huh. Right. Okay. <laughs> the blessing of the arms, the blessing of the bombs that were dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima was the blessing of God, blessing two bombs that dropped on people, killing them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> vaporizing them. Right. Now, why do I say that? Because when we think in terms of good and bad, we're talking about the duality of, of a line of reasoning that, in fact, is not factual. Mm. There aren't any true opposites. They're just different degrees of the same thing. Hot and mm. cold are not opposites. They're just different degrees of heat. Right. If right. I say something's cold, I'm talking about the absence of heat. If I'm saying something is warm, I'm talking about the absence of cold, but they're both are temperatures of something, a measurement of temperature. That's all. So they're not opposed to each other. They're just simply different degrees of the same quality. Right. So what is good for you might be bad for someone else. The Eskimo lived and he would loan a visitor, his wife, in a Muslim country, that would get you killed. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow, yeah. <laughs> you understand? Yeah, I never knew that, yeah. <laughs> we, 
accepting English lines of reasoning as a line of reasoning, get it backward, get it wrong. We didn't look at Africa and the land of Africa or the animals as being something that was against us. We could live with them. Right. We did it. We didn't kill elephants indiscriminately. We didn't kill rhinos. We didn't kill gorillas. We didn't do those things to other living things because we did not see them as adversaries. Right. We saw them as a part of the living things around us that needed to be taken care of and we need to find a way to live with. We weren't intolerant of their presence. We were very tolerant of their presence. Why? Because they were bigger than us. They were being tolerant of us. Right. Those were our friends. <laughs> Thank you. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus Christ and Muhammad shows up and everything's all wrong. Right. We'll just take... Moses take 10, 10 tablets down and everything goes to hell. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Literally. Literally. And we think there's a devil and there's purgatory and there's, there is no, the Egyptians understood, the African understood, there's no such thing as hell. One gets the opportunity to correct bad behavior. That is what the Anin Papyrus talks about. That's why you see that, that thing where Ani and his wife is coming to talk to mm. Osiris and he the, there's a scale and the scale has a feather and a heart on it and if the man's heart is as light as a feather he can go and not have to come back but if it's not after he recites those 42 <laughs> coming forth by day if his heart isn't balanced properly because he's committed a transgression by way of the code of ethics that is taught to him. Mm. He has to purge himself of that and come back and redo it again, clean it up. So Junebug got it wrong. He called it purgatory. No, it wasn't purgatory. It was an opportunity to correct the bad behavior that you demonstrated by violating the code of ethics. Mm. So you have to come back and clean up your bad behavior. Clean up the transgression. You weren't doomed ever. Hmm. You get the opportunity to correct your bad behavior. That's good parenting. Wow. You go out and shoot your child because he stole a cookie. <laughs> you know? Right. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. You correct him. You improve the quality of his reasoning, his behavior, his have to have ethics. What you agree to, you must do. With who first? Yourself. If mm. my brother Cam gives me his word, before he gives me his word, who does he give his word to? Himself. Yes. If you violate your word to you by violating your word to me, we know you cannot be trusted. Right. But mm. you don't trust you. How can I? Right. You see? And that's the base. You must maintain your integrity. Why? Your integrity is an indication, my dear brother, of mm. your reasoning that keeps you whole. It keeps you wholesome. It keeps you intact with you so that you do not give a word that you will not keep. That is the honorable thing to do as a person of integrity, to keep your ethics. And if that's true, you're going to be an honorable person. If that's true, you're taking responsibility for achieving and accomplishing those things that only you can accomplish for you. And if that's true, if I ask you, did you do, do it, you can account for what you did by telling me I'm accountable. 
What do you want to know? Right. And if those five things are part of your character, I have a good human being. If that's true, I can rely on you. Can rely on me. You can rely on your wife, your children. Your daughter will look at you as her father and say, "That's the kind of man I want to marry." Your son will look at you and say, "That's the kind of man I want to be, like my dad." If that's true, I'm going to have two families starting from these two kids, and wife is going to be okay right. because she'll trust you. Understand? If that's true, now my family is healed. If my family isn't healed, it's wholesome. It is honorable. It keeps its agreements. It's ethical. It will account to each other and everyone will be responsible to each other and everything's going to be fine. That's where we start. Mm, Could you say those five again, please, brother? Sure. Ethics, Mm -hmm. integrity, honor, responsibility, and accountability. If you go on my page, my website, they're there with a curriculum. I have to go over those things over and over and over again, because I cannot get, if I can't get you past that, ain't nobody home. Right. Ethics, integrity, honor, responsibility, and accountability. Ethics, integrity, honor, responsibility, and accountability. Let's look at the last two for a brief moment. Yes, please. In the word ability is the indication that there has to be knowledge. Fair? Right. If you don't, if you don't have ability, that means you, do, you don't know how to do something. If you have ability, you do know how to do something. Fair? Right, yes. Response means to act or react. Fair? Mm. Anything okay. that you know, you can respond to it appropriately or react to it appropriately with knowledge. Right. You can drive your car because you know how to do it. And you can take responsibility for turning, stopping, and doing all the other things, yielding to the red light, not running over people. All of that's an indication of your responsibility. Right. Okay? Countability means I can account for with skill, with talent, that which I do. Mm. Because I know what I'm doing. But if I don't know what I'm doing, my ability to be accountable diminishes. Mm. Right? Right. I have to know something to take responsibility or be accountable. I have to. If that's true, I'm a person of integrity. I'm therefore honoring those things that I say, and people will honor me because I do what I say. And the result is I'm keeping agreements to make sure that the survival that I'm engaging in with others is going to be wholesome, and I can count on them and they with me. Hmm. See, the hard part about it is that it's not hard. Right. Right. Wow. And see, this is this is really helpful right here because again, you know, I was having a conversation prior to this show and uh, I already knew we were going to come in talking, you know, kind of on a higher level of things. But then there, there are basics that everybody needs to get, and this is it right here. Ethics, integrity, honor, responsibility, accountability, especially when it comes to our black men, because we're, you know, we're, we're two black men speaking on the line right now. And, you know, I, I feel we can, you know, we can talk about women and what women need to do, but this is really for, you know, we have two brothers. It's that conversation I feel would come when there are sisters on the line, but because there are brothers on the line, 
that's where our expertise is going to be. Yeah. Well, we have an adventure, my dear brother. Now, we, I guess we're going to end off sometimes soon. I don't know. But we have, we have a responsibility to try to understand the other part of us, which is the female. There are two kinds of males on the planet. One is male, one is female. Or one is female, the other one is male. Okay? Right, right. Two kinds of males. Okay. Right. No. The, the, the female isn't a mystery to us. It is that she is what she is, and there are things that she knows that we cannot know. Right. Okay? We cannot know what it's like to have a child. Right. Right. And there's not a female on the planet that can explain to you what it's like. Can't do it. Mm. Now, if you can't know what it, what it is to have a child, she, she can't explain it, but we're having children, there's something we cannot know. Right. And, that, and she can't explain. But proof positive is we're here. And so, <laughs> now how do we bridge this gap of I don't what I don't know? The only thing I can do is admit that I can't know. Mm. If, I can, if I can admit that I can't know, then that's knowing a lie. Hmm. Because at least I know, I know I can't know. Right. And that, right. Tremendously helpful because if I say I know and therefore I can know, I'm in trouble. Right. Because how do you know? <laughs> how do I know? <laughs> okay. It seems a little seems a little rhetorical in the sense that we seem like we're going around and around, but we're not. We're saying I cannot know something, even though it manifests itself in my birth. I cannot know what that is like. Mm. To carry a child. I cannot know what it is going to be like to have a child. Therefore, I must rely on her to teach right. me what she can teach me. Of that, I can't teach you anything. Nothing. Right. You must accept that. Now, if we're going to get along, we have to admit that she's who she is. And we must have her understanding in order for us to be who we are. Hmm. There's things that we do she cannot know because we can't explain it. Some things do not lend themselves to explanation. Right. So there's always a little bit of gap. Now the gap can be 250 miles apart or it can be one two thousandths of an inch. It doesn't matter. It still doesn't connect. Hmm. Right. Got it? Yeah. I can embrace her and try my best. That's why I'm always becoming, because I'm always trying to find out what I don't know. And I'm always trying to find out and identify what I don't know, hoping I can know it. So I'm always becoming. Hmm. If that's happening, I'm going. If it's not, I'm going to be in the dirt soon. Wow. Right. Hmm. Other than that, we don't have anything to do. Hmm. Said we don't have anything to do. I said, other than that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Other than, <laughs> other than that. 
<laughs> right. Okay. Yes. Wow. It's powerful right there. Um, brother, you want to give us, um, give the people your, your website again and let them know, I mean, if they want to reach out to you or anything like that, or any, any information. Well, again, I, my name is Youssef Sudan. I'm the founder of the Sons Foundation. We're located here in Las Vegas, Nevada. We have been inactive due to the COVID, to say the least. Mm. Um, the, pro the program is still steadfast the way it was before. You can go to my page, my website, which is Sons, S-U-N-Z as in zebra, S as in Sam, H as in Henry or Hassan, I as in Ida, uh, P as in Paul, dot org, sonsship.org. There you'll find our program, our curriculum. You'll see me there. You see me with young men that have graduated from the program. You see me with mentors who've been dedicated men who assisted me and I, hopefully them in some form or some fashion. So it gives you the opportunity also you can reach me. My, my phone number is there. Um, the uh, email address is there. You can communicate with me there. I have a bad habit. I will always answer your phone call and your information. <laughs> okay. so, so the only thing I'd say, if you don't want to get it done, don't call me. I like that. Okay. Yes, sir. I care about what I do. I care about my people. I care about people as people. I have very good friends in many walks of life and then from other groups. I don't mind interacting with people as long as those interactions are sane and people are responsible and we can get work done and we don't play games of being unethical and irresponsible to each other. We don't do that. That I will not engage in. So I want to thank you, my brother, for allowing me to, I didn't realize I had spoken so long, but I do thank you for the opportunity. I'm happy that you're doing your work. Again, you have my number. If you need to call me, call me. I'll always return your call or your information. Um, I'll do the best I can. Thank you. Thank you. Um Great brother, great elder Yusef Suda for taking the time to speak to us here. You definitely have a, a little fan club going on in the comments. People were giving hearts and, you know, all kind of things when, when as you were speaking tonight. So I just wanted to, you know, kind of bring that to your attention. Definitely caught a lot of people's attention tonight. Thank you so much. And I, uh, I, I've enjoyed meeting you and my other brother. Um, I've, I've learned a lot. I'll keep trying. Yeah. Hopefully you'll give me the opportunity to learn some more in the near future. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise. I've definitely learned a lot. Definitely going to have to replay this and just sit back and, you know, not be in the conversation and just listen to what's going on. <laughs> Do me the favor, have send me, please send me a copy of it so I can listen to this guy talk who sounds like me. Right. Uh, I, really, I rarely get a chance to hear myself. So Absolutely. Absolutely. She will. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you so much, big brother. Thank you, my brother. And be safe, please. All right. Absolutely. Likewise. All right, my brother. Thanks. All right. Talk.
Bye bye. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the elder Yusuf Suda um, from sonship.org, Sons Foundation, S U N Z. That's powerful, powerful medicine right there. You know what we say when the elders come on, we shut the front door and listen. You know? And um, I love when we have the elders come on because they just, they give, um, you know, so much perspective. And we're in a time where we can't, we, we can't really afford to, to think. We have to think outside of the box, you know? There's a lot going on and we need new ways of thinking about what we're dealing with right now because this landscape is crazy. Look it up. Flawed individual. Thanks for keeping the lights on, Diane. On the wake up. Hey, Yurima Karama here with a quick infomercial, and I have a question for you. Are you tired of social media outlets that block real content? I mean, are you tired of your favorite internet truth teller getting blocked or put in fed book jail? Tired of making a comment and the algorithm quickly deems your comment to be offensive and takes it down? I mean, are you tired of making a post and a fact check pops up, making it look like your info isn't accurate, and then it turns out that the fact check is actually the lie? Are you tired of seeing white people get by with racist commentary or post and they never get blocked, but unapologetically black truth tellers are always having their videos taken down? Tired of having to wait a month or seven days or 14 days for your favorite social media truth teller to get their page back up because white-owned social media outlet owners take their content down whenever they feel like it? Tired of black people getting on white-owned social media outlets and finding out that the outlet is making billions of dollars, but you don't get one red cent of that money? Well, if you're really tired, then you should do as I did and make the switch. Yeah. Come on over to otwtube.com where your content and comments are actually accepted. Also, get the Eurema Karam app where you can stay up to date on real truth that lamestream media intentionally hides from you. Come on over to sites that accept you being unapologetically black. I mean, come on over to sites that love you being free to express yourself. This is why I took my aboriginal indigenous melanated ass on over to OTWTube because I recognize the importance of freedom of speech. I recognize that I would be doing my ancestors a tremendous disservice if I stayed a slave on social media outlets that want to dictate what I say and when I can actually say it. If you're tired like I am, then make the switch now to OTWTube.com and get the Yurima Karama app. Tap into the truth because that's what you deserve. I am Yurima Karama, and I approve this message.